In this episode, we speak with Chris Miller, CEO of Everside Health, one of the largest direct primary care providers in the U.S., operating over 375 health centers in 34 states. Chris is a recognized leader and entrepreneur known for building and scaling companies. He offers a unique blend of business acumen, strategic vision, and service delivery to achieve organizational success. Everside Health, headquartered in Denver, Colorado, offers patients direct and convenient 24-7 access to their physicians by combining increased physician involvement with a data-driven approach focused on delivering better health outcomes. The company started as four companies that came together to create a different kind of healthcare experience. It is backed by New Enterprise Associates, Oak HCFT, Alton Partners, Greenspring Associates, and other strategic investors. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click the subscribe and drop us a comment. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to be with you. My pleasure to be here, RJ. So something I noticed in your background, you're not only a CEO, I think you're multifaceted in that you know how to structure companies, you know how to raise capital. It's kind of like a Swiss army knife tool set, the way you're able to kind of build companies and do so in a fundamentally sound way. We'll dig into Everside, but before that, can you tell us a little bit about Trumpet, which it seems like you built from the ground up? Yeah, we did. So we acquired two very small practices in the autism development disability space. But from there, we really worked to grow the business, both organically and a bit of inorganic growth as well. It was based on not only building, but acquiring mission-driven businesses, right? And so there's a lot that we can talk about on the financial side, driven by profitability. But most importantly, we were able to launch de novo clinics that were led by individuals fundamentally that were trained under Trumpet and were able to unleash them on, on new areas and, and continue to build those businesses. But we did some acquisitions as well that were led by mission values driven individuals and acquiring that kind of talent was fundamental to our growth too. So we were very systematic about how we built it, taking one step back and launched that business. One of our theories was that reform was going to happen across the United States, really driven by states mandate that you reimburse for the services that we provide, which is applied behavior analysis. And when we started the company, just a few states had enacted that reform and today all 50 states have that. So our investment thesis unfolded as we thought it would. And we were systematic in terms of how we built that business. Were you in the healthcare space previously? You mentioned being mission-driven. Were you really compelled based on what the company was providing to the world? I was, RJ. It was an interesting story, but I'm now almost 20 years and having run multi-site, multi-state healthcare services businesses. The first one was focused on the senior space, so keeping seniors living at home versus going into long-term care facilities. I ran that company for about four years and we sold it. My wife is a behavior analyst in the field of autism. And so that led me to the thesis that I described before, as she had a small practice seeing patients with a partner and was turning away clients left and right because she just didn't have the capacity to build it. And so that led to our buying two small practices in California and Hawaii and expanding the business from there. Excellent. We'll move into Everside and value-based care. The genesis of that was through a spin-out from DaVita. How was that conceived? Yeah, so the business 
was called Paladina Health at the time, and it was founded by the chairman and CEO, Davida Kent Theory. And so it was his idea that they wanted to diversify outside of kidney care. And they started this small division within Davida called Paladina that had several different leaders. And frankly, RJ didn't get a whole lot of attention. So they brought me on board. Taking one step back to you, I had a gentleman named Joe Mello, who was the chief operating officer of Davida. He was on my board at Trumpet. And it was he who called me and said, hey, check out this business. Can you come in and give us an idea if you think there's anything there? I did. I became immediately compelled by the uh, the mission, the ability to transform healthcare and the way the US healthcare system was evolving, driven by primary care. And so it fundamentally led to my leaving my baby trumpet behind and joining what was then just a small division of DeVita and contemplating how I can grow it from there. You led sizable fundraising rounds. Was the size of those rounds driven by really your vision of what the company could become? So look, we spun the business out of DeVita. I ran it under DeVita for about two, two and a half years and recognized that we probably weren't going to be able to get the types of resources we needed to really grow the business and impact lives. And so I spun the business out of DeVita, June of 2018, sold 100% of the asset to New Enterprise Associates, NEA. And then we brought on Oak and Alta and some additional growth partners along the way. But it was really driven by two things. And again, similar to how I built Trumpet, but we wanted to grow the business organically and wanted the resources to do that and continue to differentiate ourselves. But we also wanted the resources to think about how we can grow through M&A. And so over the course of the past three years, I've acquired three different companies that had geographic fits for us, but all were very much mission values driven businesses that fit very well into the Everside model. And so over the course of that process, we switched our name and moved our name from Paladina Health to Everside Health, left all the legacy business names behind, and, and here we are as one Everside. You know, speaking high level, this seems fairly simplistic. You grow organically, you grow through acquisition, and you're off to the races. But that's really tough to do. How do you do that successfully? Integration, I feel like, is always a tough area. It is. So look, this comes down to what may be an obvious answer, but you have to have the right teams to do it. Right? So we're fortunate in that the businesses that we've acquired we really wanted to not only acquire their clients and their geographic presence, but their talent too. We need more people to help us grow and build this business. Again, one step back, but there's 110 million Americans that get their insurance through self-insured employers. And right now, even after the acquisitions, we're serving 1.6 million eligible lives. So lots of white space for us to continue to grow and build this business. But we want to acquire that talent, and I have a very good team that's now accustomed to integrating that talent, not only from a cultural perspective, but from a technology perspective, too. So we've gotten quite good at it. We weren't very good at the first time. We've gotten better at it the second and third time. And we're very transparent with the company we're acquiring in terms of how it's going to work and who they're going to report to and what clarity roles look like. And I think that's a really important process. And over the past decades, you must have developed some key tenets on how you operate and what you think makes for a successful leader and leadership team. Could you maybe share one or two key insights with us? I always focus on three fundamental aspects of an individual and a team, and it's humble, hungry, and smart, RJ. So I feel very strongly that if I can find those three qualities in a leader in their respective teams and making sure they're instilling those three characteristics in their team, that it's going to work. So I worry less about pedigree I worry less about even industry expertise. If I can find a partner and leaders that are humble, hungry, and smart, it works quite well with us. And so you know, humility is important in terms of us from a mission values perspective. Hungry, I want people who are going to be ambitious and really want to impact the world and, and change lives. And smart never hurts. <laughs> Those are the three characteristics that are important to me. 
You're no stranger to capital and investors, and you just described what you look for in a leader. What do you look for in a capital provider? That's a good question too. So really, I want a firm that's going to provide more expertise than the financials that they provide. So I really want someone who's going to help us from a strategic standpoint. But I also really want someone who's in this for the long haul. And so we were really intentional when we spun this business out of DaVita. The NEA wasn't the highest bidder at the time, but they were the right partner for us because they had expertise in both healthcare and technology, and they had a long-term vision. Their average hold time, I think, for their portfolio companies is eight or nine years. And so we really need the time to build this business and impact lives. And I don't want to think about bringing on a new capital provider or new ownership structure four or five years into the journey. We want somebody who's thinking from a long-term vision. And so that was really important and intentional in terms of why we chose NEA, Oak, and Alta, and the other partners that we have. You know, one thing we try to do on this podcast is share with CEOs how they could potentially discern among capital providers. And we talk to many of them and we try to describe the differences. Would you say that of those that you've met, there are some distinct, aside from like tenure or how long a holding period could be for an investor, do you see other differences? Yeah, I do. So what I love about my partners now is that they are strategic thinkers, but not necessarily so concerned about what we're doing from a day-to-day perspective. So they have the right amount of touch. They're there when I need them to be. They're in my board meetings and I speak to some of my investors and directors, you know, once every couple of weeks. But they're asking the right questions and they're available for me to bounce some ideas off. So look, I've had investors on the other side of the spectrum, those that really were only there at board meetings and only showed up once a quarter. I've had those that wanted to be involved in how the business operated on a daily basis and finding that right balance is really important. So that's key. And look, I think some of this can be determined by doing your diligence, right? So one thing I've always done before I've taken on capital from anyone is talk to a lot of their CEOs and the portfolio company CEOs, and that'll tell you a really good story. I asked to talk to current CEOs that are happy and CEOs that have left, they departed. And it really works quite well in terms of figuring out whether they're going to be the right partner for you. Got it. With your experiences building companies, what's been the most challenging part? Are there some memorable moments where you know your success for the company was teetering or you really felt like you were at an inflection point? Like if you couldn't do XYZ, you might not survive, et cetera. I think every entrepreneur has those moments, right? And you know, some are more dramatic than others. But to me, the most disappointing aspect of being an entrepreneur is when you work really hard to make a great hire, what you think is a great hire, and that great hire doesn't work out. It's a wildly disappointing moment for any entrepreneur. You've done your work. You think you've done a good job in terms of bringing on the right kind of talent to help you build the business. And it just doesn't work. And sometimes it doesn't work for a variety of reasons. But it often leads you to these moments of despair where you think, oh, oh no, now I'm going to have to assume this role or what's going to happen in the company. And and look, the beauty of this is there's a lot of great talent out there and not to say that it's easy to find, but great talent makes a huge difference, both from an investor standpoint and you know an operating partner standpoint too. So that's something I think that we work real hard at to make sure we're very careful in terms of who we bring on and, and we hope we make the right fit. Yeah. As a follow-up question to that, you know, people are the most critical part to scaling a business. Do you have some processes in place to ensure that you are able to improve upon how hiring is done and how folks are being retained and how they're being educated for their next role? Number one, I make sure I'm not the only decision maker, right? So that's really important. I'm a collaborative leader. And so I, I value the fact that I've brought on smart people and I want them to contribute to how the business grows. 
So I ensure that most of my executive team has an opportunity to interview other potential executives and trickles on down throughout the organization. So we have lots of individuals involved in the hiring process. And we've spoken about this earlier, but I think mission, vision, values is an important component of the interview process too. And so you ask behavioral questions. We ask them to tell us, talk to us about times where they've worked through mission, vision, values issues. And it's a key piece in terms of how we determine fit. And certainly diligence is a big piece of this too, trying to back channel and figure out what the uh, the past record looks like for these individuals and how they're going to perform with your, your current company is, is essential. But look, we're also big believers in continuing education for the organization. I started this at Trumpet too. We wanted to make sure we're promoting from within. And that's our first objective with every position that we're filling. We're hoping to promote from within and making sure that people have a career to pursue and trying to give them that continuing education within the organization. So Leadership development is a key piece of every organization I've led and making sure that's an important path that teammates can follow. You're located in Denver, and I believe Trumpet was as well, but you had moved the company from California. Is there a reason why you chose Denver? So part of it was that we bought a clinical organization in Denver, and, uh, and it made sense to build the business in a more geographically ideal location as we expanded across the country. But the other part was that, look, we were competing for executive talent in Silicon Valley with the likes of Facebook and Intel and large organizations. And we were a small behavioral health healthcare company at that point. So it was a lot easier for us to acquire talent in a place like Denver than it was in Silicon Valley, just cost of living and, and lifestyle choices. And so we started building the business in Denver. And then when I spun the business out of DeVita here, which was also headquartered in Denver, it made sense for us to continue to build a business here and, and grow geographically across the country. I also noticed you're a member of YPO. And what we try to do sometimes on our podcast is tell other CEOs who are building companies, what other resources are there for you? And can you tell us a little bit about how YPO maybe is helpful? It's immensely helpful. So there's two ways. So first of all, I'm a member of a forum. And what that means is there's six or seven individuals typically that get together on a monthly basis. And we talk about business issues as well as personal issues. And so you you find a way to figure out who's going to make sense in terms of what that forum looks like. But these are often individuals with whom you interact over the course of many, many years. And so they get to know you personally and, and professionally. And the beauty of that, RJ, is that it's not just a healthcare-focused forum. These are individuals that are seeing business issues and personal issues across many different spectrums. As a matter of fact, in my current forum right now, I'm the only healthcare-focused CEO. So it's good to hear other perspectives in terms of what's going on in the world and, and bounce ideas off of them. But YPO is a global organization and it does have a healthcare focus. So I can reach out almost any time to individuals that are seeing some of the same issues that I'm seeing in primary care, mental health, you know, MSK, all the things that I'm involved with and know that I've got a little bit of a club that I can rely upon that are seeing some of the same things across, frankly, not only the US, but across the world. So that's a great example of that. I'm also involved with a company called Endeavor Organization, which is an organization that supports entrepreneurs across the globe. And it really started in countries that were located in South America and in places where entrepreneurship wasn't as encouraged. And now it's grown to have a a large presence in in the United States too. But that's another wonderful organization where I can bounce ideas off of fellow entrepreneurs and gain healthcare expertise when I want. So there are organizations like that that exist out there. And at the very least, that encourage entrepreneurs to just be proactive in terms of figuring out a group that makes sense, like-minded individuals that you can share ideas with over the course of every couple of months at the very least. Just one other follow-up to that. You mentioned personal. Is the personal like what's happening with your family? How does that affect you as a leader? It is, yeah. And and I think that's an often underestimated aspect of how effective we are as leaders, RJ, right? So there are the business issues, but there is also, hey, am I making enough time for my kids? Am I making enough time for my wife? 
you know, my spouse, one of the leaders I admire is, is Kent Theory. And as he often said, are you making enough time to fill the cup? You, know, you can't pour from an empty cup is a saying we, we often utilize that DaVita and you got to make sure the cup is full. So am I having a balanced lifestyle? Am I taking you know, vacation where I can unplug for a few days? And so that aspect is important and it's great to have a forum and that team that I have that, that keeps me honest. We measure some of this stuff and, and we ask each other these tough questions. Okay, just went on a vacation for eight days. You know, how often are you checking email on that vacation? And it's important to have somebody who reminds you of the values you should be living as a human being. Fantastic. Last two questions. Tell us about a book that you've read that may have had a profound impact on you. My favorite book of any type of all time is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And look, it's a wonderful book. It was written years and years ago, but it's wonderful in terms of laying out the foundation of how people want to be treated. And I reread the book every year. I give it to my executive teammates when they come on board. And it's just a really great reminder of how people want to be treated and how relationships can become effective. You know, simple things like making sure you're giving honest and sincere praise. If you're wrong, admit it quickly. These are things that may seem obvious, but it's good to read through and remind yourself each day. And frankly, it resonates with most everyone. They've heard of the book, but most people haven't read it. Uh, but it has some wonderful life lessons in it. Great answer. I've certainly read it maybe a couple of times. My wife's read it. It's, it's certainly very helpful. Last question. Person you admire most, it doesn't necessarily have to be in business. Yeah. So I mentioned Kent and Kent there is an innovative leader. He's no longer the chairman and CEO of DeVita, but a wonderful track record there. And he taught me a lot when I reported to him, RJ. And so I think so highly of the lessons that he's lived, frankly, in both building a business, but how he, he interacts with his family and all teammates. So he really established the idea of building a community first and a company second. And that's what we aspire to achieve at Everside as well. And again, making sure that everyone lives that balanced life and fills the cup. Those are all lessons I learned from him. So lots of that continues to resonate with me personally and throughout our organization. Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thanks. My pleasure, RJ. Thank you for having me. 